listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. When it comes to information technology, two things are virtually certain. First, your information technology will fail. And second, your information will get hacked. On today's program, we'll hear from two scientific researchers on the best way to communicate the bad news to investors. And as we'll find out, the best way might surprise you. So we hypothesized these, and then a lot of these didn't come true. And it just kind of shocked us, some of these small effects that we thought we would see. That's coming up. But first, this week's Ticker News Update. Oh, and I should note that for utterly no reason other than just because... This is a jazz edition of the Ticker Podcast. Enjoy. Shareholder activism is ramping up across Asia. New data from Activist Insight shows there have been 90 public campaigns so far this year. That's up from just 60 in the same period last year. While this is way off the numbers for the U.S., which has clocked in at 403 so far, the rise across Asia makes it the world's second most targeted region. In third place for public campaigns is Europe at 69. Europe, excluding the UK, is the only region to actually see a drop in the number of campaigns this year. Accenture, Novartis, and Medtronic have topped the list of the most diverse and inclusive companies in the world. That's according to Thomson Reuters Diversity and Inclusion Index. Thomson Reuters says investors are increasingly looking at how companies perform on DNI metrics as a screen for potential long-term performance. And finally, the shortlists for the IR Magazine Awards Small Cap US have been officially announced. Small cap companies were nominated in three categories, Best Investor Engagement, Best Investor Relations by a Microcap, and Best Investor Relations by a Small Cap Company. The awards will be presented September 26th in New York City. To see the nominees or register for the event, check out irmagazine.com. Hey, hey, buddy, want to boost your company's market cap by 3%? Sure you do. Listen, this is what you do. First, you roll out a brand new piece of software to your eager market. But because you're an evil genius, and you listen to this podcast, you've secretly arranged for a major snafu on the very day of implementation. Customers are pissed, and investor confidence in your firm's ability to deliver IT services is shattered. Now, here's where you work your communications magic. Basically, when it comes to impression management, you've got two broad options. You can either play defense or offense. If you go for defense, you'll be denying blame for an event. For example, you're an airline, and you've just started a brand new online reservation system. It crashes on day one. You immediately put out a statement blaming the fiasco on your external reservation system provider. Alternatively, you can adopt an assertive strategy. 
You accept the blame for the fiasco, apologize, and promise to work hard to correct the error. Now, which communication strategy do you think will best deal with the damage done to your company's reputation? Well, scientists at Texas Tech and the University of Montana explored that very question. They analyzed over 200 IT failures, and they found out that sending the right signal to financial markets could indeed minimize the impact on firm value. But, and here's where it gets interesting, in the right circumstances, the companies that got their communication strategy right didn't just soften the impact, they actually increased their market value by an average of $212 million. Uh, So, the right strategy? Just own up and apologize. But there's wrinkles. There's wrinkles because that only applies to IT failures that happen when a new system is installed for the first time. Use the same sort of communication when, say, your long-used cloud hosting system suddenly goes offline, and you'll likely end up actually hurting yourself even more. In that case, you want to go for a defensive strategy. So, the correct impression management strategy depends. And it is complicated, and it's not always intuitive. To help sort out which strategies work with which kinds of IT failures, I spoke with study co-author Jason Trichet. He's Assistant Professor of Management Information Systems at the University of Montana. Um, I was in IT consulting for 10 years before going to get my doctorate, and I saw so many clients go through these kind of IT failures, and a lot of them were private. You know, these companies just kind of hit it and, and all this, but some of these were big public-facing problems, and companies didn't know what to do. They they had a PR campaign going, or they had, um, you know, people scrambling to fix things, but really there was no study or anything out there to say what a company should do for an IT failure. And so that's what sparked my interest in this. And and people can really do it wrong, eh? Like some of this stuff is not necessarily intuitive exactly, some of your findings. I mean, people can really shoot themselves in their foot by by doing it exactly the wrong way. That's what I think, that's what shocked us the most. Um, You know, we we used a pretty pretty solid, um, me and my co-author, we used a pretty solid theory that's been around for a long time about what investors look like for the company called resource-based view of the firm. Hi there. Let me just interject at this juncture to quickly sketch out the underlying theory of what Trichet was measuring. You know this, of course, but just for review, here's Wikipedia on the subject. The resource-based view of the firm examines how resources can be used to create superior long-term performance. Some resources, such as managerial competence, may be competitive advantage resources, while others, such as hardware, may be non-competitive resources. An IT failure can signal to the market that important resources are not as they were thought to be. Like for the company, it's called resource-based view of the firm. And, and we, we hypothesized some of these things based off that theory that's been well-established and you know over the past 60, 70 years in, in organizational literature. And so we hypothesized these, and then a lot of these didn't come true. And it just kind of shocked us too on on some of these some of these small effects that we thought we would see. Um, and so you're right. If a company used the wrong message with the wrong problem, then they got hit a lot harder. And if there was a 
one of the problems that you know we call the implementation error if they did that their stock price got hit but if they owned up to it and apologized and um said it's us then it flipped the effect and um they actually did better so even if they had a failure they apologized and it ended up to be a better effect they actually increased market cap yeah they were positive yep they were positive that's what we were so shocked so not only did they have an IT failure, the worst one, if they apologized and took ownership of it and said, yes, we are fixing it, here's the plan or the address or here's what we're trying to do, the market went up. The abnormal return, the, the margin of the abnormal return went up 3% on average across all firms that had that problem. Why? <laughs> yeah, that's what we looked into as well. Um, you know, we looked at other kind of, uh, phenomenons like the service paradox. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there's this phenomenon out there in the market where they say if you have a problem with a company and, um, and something happens and it's bad and you have to engage customer support and service and they fix the problem, um, exactly to your satisfaction, then you're going to give that company a better um, either rating or, or an idea or some kind of, um, I don't know how, what you're going to say, but like You'll tip them. some kind of favorable rating more than they would if they never had the error in the first place. Huh. So if they have the problem and they fix it to your satisfaction, you're going to rate that company better than you would if they never had it. And so we were trying to look and see if maybe some of this was explained by the service paradox. Um, we didn't tease out that specifically in this, in this research. Okay, that's for implementation failures. Uh, now there's two kinds of failures and two strategies. Uh, can we back up? Can Can you unpack that for us a bit? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we hypothesized, and then we'll tell you what actually came out. Okay. Um, so we, uh, the the original, uh, the, the basic hypothesis is um, implementation uh, failures are worse for a company than operational failures. Um, and the idea behind that, and we were not the first person who said this. There was a seminal paper um, that I quoted quite often in this article by Barhawaj, mm-hmm. and she was the one that um, she had four authors. They, she's the one who said that implementation failures are worse, um, and, and the reason behind that is um, operational failures are ones that are just going down. They've they've been in production for a while. Everybody's good, and all of a sudden it breaks. Um, that's an operational. An implementation one is um, this company works on this new new um, IT system or new release, and then they go to release it, and when they put it in production, it fails. And not only does it fail, they can't back it up and go backwards. And so basically, everybody's down on this new release. Well, we hypothesized, and so did they, that um, investors look at that as worse. Like, they had everything ready, they had all the planning, they had all the people, and they still screwed it up, and they couldn't back it out. And so I think investors look at that as a worse problem. And, and that was true. We found that. We confirmed their results. That was actually worse. So implementation errors are bad. We also looked, and this is new to this research, we looked at human error versus technology error. And so we went through all the data and classified them, whether the company blamed a human, like, oh, well, we had somebody make a mistake or, um, you know, it was a human error. Somebody typed in the wrong address or mm-hmm. typed in the wrong, whatever they did. Um, so we looked at it to say human error was worse. And the reason is, is because um, if it's a technology error, people kind of are forgiving, you know, like everybody's computer crashes, everybody's laptop crashes at one time in their life. 
it is what it is. And so people are more forgiving. We thought people would be more forgiving for a company if their servers crashed um, than if a human made the error because they didn't have a backup or they didn't have supervision. And resources, the human resources are important for a company. And investors want to know that the company have the, has the right people in place. Um, so that's what we hypothesized. And then we did the hypothesis based off the strategy that they can communicate, whether it's assertive or defensive. And assertive being, we take apology, we own it, we know it, it's our fault, we'll look into it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, defensive strategy is like, nope, not us. It wasn't us. Blame other people. We had nothing to do with it. Um, and then we had a lot of companies just had no comment, no matter what they did. Um, they just didn't say anything. And we had quite a few of those. So what we hypothesized was, um, because, going back to the original, um, because implementation problems are worse, um, it would be okay to use an assertive strategy when the failure is causing or calling into um, questions the competent resources of the firm. So if if investors were looking at the company thinking, oh, we're, we're going to call in a question and we're not sure they can handle this and we're not sure they can do it. If they had an assertive strategy and said, yep, it was us, we did it, here's the plan to fix it, we thought that would turn around the negative impact of the IT failure. And that's what we found. We also looked at the assertive strategy for the human cause. So human causes are bad, causing, it, it causes into question the competitive resources of the company, investors are nervous about that. And so an assertive strategy would um, kind of counteract that. Uh, the problem is we didn't find any effect, not negative or positive, just no effect. Hmm. So it sounds like the assertive strategy for human causes didn't do anything. Either way, it didn't. The human error was no effect, and the strategy with the human error, no effect. So if I understand, apart from that case, the assertive strategy works better, works great, actually, if it's an implementation tech error. If it's a, yeah, if it's an implementation technical failure, an assertive strategy will turn the stock price negative to positive at 3%. Amazing. And, and so, conversely, with operational failures, you want a defensive strategy. If you're going to have an operational um, failure, the defensive strategies were, yeah, were the strategy to use. Instead of taking responsibility and being assertive, you want to shift blame someone. I mean, if you can. Part of the defensive strategy was to deny, deny. And a lot of people have, uh, some companies, if I can remember in the data set, um, that was a strategy that some people um, did, kind of downplayed the um, the error, right? Where there was, uh, let's say there was an IT failure. Some companies had such workarounds that they didn't even um, acknowledge the error. Any other surprises? Um I thought I thought the the uh your finding about the severity angle was interesting. I, so we looked in that too. So um you know we we classified severity in, in three categories uh high, medium and low. And our, our hypothesis of course was the higher the severity of the of the IT failure the the worse they're going to yeah. get hit on the stock price. Mm -hmm. Um and we didn't find any effect at all across the board. Um so we looked at that cuz that that isn't that should have been the easiest hypothesis to confirm. Um, and looking through the literature uh, of how to classify severity was, I think, the problem. So I don't, 
uh, it was a measurement error, and and I think that's why we didn't have an effect. And we didn't hypothesize this, but you know, th- this is a kind of a no-brainer too. Companies that are high in the IT industry. So if you're a company in the in a very intensive, um, we call it the intensiveness of IT industry. So basically, companies like Dell or or, or Microsoft or, or companies that work in the IT space completely. We thought they would be worse off when they get hit by failure compared to, you know, uh, an airline where uh-huh. their main core competency is getting people across the country safely or the world safely. Um, and it wasn't the case. We controlled for that. All the effects came up regardless of if they're the industry or not. Um, and so it was an interesting finding. We thought IT companies would get hit harder and, and they weren't. Um, the other thing that we looked at, and this was not in the paper, um, because it, we didn't find results, but there was this phenomenon called the halo effect, where um, if somebody um, does something good for a while, then people start getting a halo, putting a halo over their head, and then if they make a few mistakes in the future, then it's not that big of a deal. Um, and we didn't find any of that in the in the data. We we looked for that phenomenon, we looked for it, and um, it didn't look like people put any halos on companies that did really well for a while, or or did really bad for a while. Um, it seems like every time the case happened, the investor reevaluated that case regardless of their history. So there's a lot of work going forward. Are, are you working out sort of another paper in this in this uh, this area? Yes, um, it's slow, uh. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes, we uh, we are trying to look at other angles of the same kind of phenomenon by looking at the actual language used. Instead of, because um, right now we just coded it as, we had a lot of independent coders code it as defensive or assertive, but we're more looking into the, the nuance of the language. Um, is there a certain type of apology that works better, for instance? Um, is there a certain phrase that investors really um, key in on that says, yeah, that, that makes me feel better or that assuages my, um, my issues? And so that's the next line of research that we're looking into. Up next, should you use social media to disclose your data breach? When it comes to corporate technology fiascos, another research hotspot is in the increasingly popular realm of cyber hacking. Corporate data breaches can shave up to five and a half percentage points off firm value, and the number of hacks is growing every year. So it's not surprising that data breaches are a real concern for firms, investors, and regulators. Now, when you disclose a breach isn't entirely under your control. How you disclose it, on the other hand, is. And as it turns out, how you disclose it can have a serious impact on your stock price. And again, just like Jason Trichet's findings, there's wrinkles. You could, for example, tweet the news. After all, social media has proven itself a very useful communications channel in times of crisis. It's fabulous when, say, you're handling a product recall. But a data breach isn't a product recall. Also, management isn't always super keen to publish bad news as widely as possible if it doesn't have to. 
So will social media help or hinder? Well, our scientists have been looking into that too. And they found out that the nature of your comm plan will be a function of exactly two factors. The type of crisis you're facing and your firm's visibility in traditional media. To help ease out the subtleties of this complex question, I spoke with Pierangelo Rossati. He's Assistant Professor in Business Analytics at Dublin College University. Conveniently, he and his colleagues have just published a research paper entitled Should You Disclose a Data Breach via Social Media? And that's where we begin our conversation. And, and you found out for most companies, in fact, you, you should release it over social media. For uh for low visibility companies. So for those companies who tend to have difficulties in finding coverage on the media, basically disclosing a data breach through your uh, social media account allows you to to basically to to share the news. So it gives you visibility around this kind of event. A visibility that you won't be able to get on traditional media. While for large companies, so for those who are very visible on the media already, then disclosing that to um through social media basically it doesn't give you any kind of advantage. So it's potentially um increase potentially the cost of data breach. You actually put a number to that. You quantify it. Um in the first case it's if you're low visibility, you say you can mitigate the negative price response by four point four percent but if you're high visibility, yeah. it's 5.2%, minus 5.2%. Yeah, that's correct. That's on average. One thing that you could also consider when saying, when writing the articles, I think it could be of interest as well, mm-hmm. the, with the new, because uh, I was in the U.S. for a data science uh, conference, industry conference um, two months ago, and we were, it was a colleague of mine and myself, and we were very surprised of, I would I wouldn't say naive, but very superficial was the discussion around new European regulation GDPR. Many, and what happens is that even if a company is not based in the EU, so it's based in Canada, it's based in the US, it's based in South America, whatever, as long as you have a relationship with any EU individual, you have to comply with GDPR. Okay, and so the GDPR now the difference between GDPR and other legislation, just that it requires the, the organization to disclose a data breach within 72 hours. So there is a clear cutoff. So it's kind of very strict cutoff for this kind of events. So in this case, particularly try to disclose information fast and to disclose that to to all the relevant stakeholders. It's not just an issue of mitigating the loss, but it's actually an issue of complying with law. I, I hear, though, I think in the case of British companies, they're just kind of ignoring that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, in fairness, there are many EU companies that are not ready for it. Mm. And that's not a surprise because it's a very complex piece. But uh, the, the fines are just way off the scale. That's your ticker podcast for this week. My thanks to Pierangelo Rosati at Dublin College University and Jason Trichet at the University of Montana. Their 
there's still time to register for the IR Magazine Global Forum and Awards. That's coming up October 9th and 10th in Amsterdam. This year's forum dissects models, markets, and management. With us now is IR Magazine conference producer Stephen Wade to tell us more. Thanks, Jeff. Yep, we're really looking forward to this year's Global Forum, where we're going to be exploring a range of challenges, looking at everything from ESG to the proxy. Um, We're looking into things like how to manage ETFs and lots of different ways to manage the impact of MIFID. So I definitely recommend having a look at the agenda on the website. Now, the great thing about the Global Forum is the variety of perspectives you have on how to tackle these challenges with insights from heads of IR from Russia, Abu Dhabi, North America and across Europe sharing their wisdom. Plus, there's insight from the buy side and sell side, including the managing directors from State Street and BlackRock. So, yeah, with over 200 attendees from the international IR community, I think it'd be great if some of the listeners could join in. Entries are now open for our Global People's Choice Award. Check out irmagazine.com for more. My thanks to the incomparable Josh Rager for Vibes. And thank you for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.